Okay, good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. I'll be reading Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. Luke 22, 19 and 20. And He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in My blood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, in the presence and power of Your Spirit, may we, Your people, the body of Christ, taste ever more deeply of the meaning, the significance, and the grace that is in Holy Communion. The eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. And would you do that through these words that I'll speak of this wonderful meal this morning. To the glory of Your name. Amen. This is the third and the final week on the series about the Lord's Supper. In the first sermon, we went back in time to first century Jerusalem, to the upper room where Jesus shared the Passover meal with His twelve apostles. And during the meal, He took the bread and He took the cup and He connected the bread with His body and the cup with His blood, which within 24 hours would become a sacrificial suffering and death for sin. In week two, we followed the Lord's Supper and the theologies that have come out of it down through the church age. And finally then, this morning, we ask the question, as we will be partaking, what is it now? As you hold the bread and we drink the cup together, what is going on? What are we doing? What's the meaning of it? And we're going to conclude this service this morning by celebrating the only two ordinances that Jesus has given for the church to practice. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. So first, when we eat the bread, we drink the cup. Here, here's the big question. Okay, what? Just real practically, I don't care. I, that's, we all know that. That's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. What is it that we're doing? The Lord's Supper is a family meal. It is the supper for the family of believers in community where they together are eating the bread and drinking the cup. The first ordinance we'll see later this morning in baptism is an individual person's public confession and acknowledgement. Yes, He has saved me. This Gospel, whether they heard it for the first time or like my daughter Lindsay all her life growing up in this church and in her family, says nothing is sweeter than the message of Jesus' death for me and His resurrection for my salvation. So we will see in that ordinance she will be going under the water being buried with Jesus in His death. And she'll be coming up out of the water, being raised to new life internally by new birth because of Jesus in one day physically when He returns. Then there's the second ordinance, the Lord's Supper, which is the ongoing practice of the local churches, the community of Jesus. 
the body of Christ in remembering the centerpiece of what everything is about. The center of Christianity. Of the Gospel. Christ died for sinners. And that's why right after her baptism this morning, Lindsay will be partaking of the Lord's Supper with us here at Sovereign Grace Fellowship for the first time in her life. I like to call it her first Holy Communion. But as she does that, here's the first point of the sermon again. This supper is not an act for unbelievers. It's a family of believers act. Unbelievers may, may, may be present. Unbelievers are welcome. There's nothing hidden. But it is a public act of the gathered church. If you would, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to mainly be in 1 Corinthians 11 this morning when, where Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. But I want you to notice a couple words first in verse 18 about this gathering. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, and in the context here is the Lord's Supper, preaching and church service. Verse 20, he says again, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Down in verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So, the Lord's Supper is not something that is to be done alone. It is a gathered, local church function. That's point one. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is not a spaghetti meal or hamburgers and fries. It is a simple eating of a piece of bread and drinking of the fruit of the vine, wine or juice. In our text, Jesus said, and He took Luke tells us he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, so a part of the meal, he takes the bread of the meal, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's a simple eating of bread, drinking of the cup. Thirdly, in the New Testament, there is no specific how often ought we to do this. That's why there are differences within the church world, within the body of Christ, and different local church communities or denominational communities that celebrate the Lord's Supper with different frequencies. Some churches celebrate it quarterly. Just four times a year. Others celebrate it twice a month. That would be 24 times a year. Others every week, 52. We here at Sovereign Grace, we choose to celebrate it once a month. We get this from Paul. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 26 he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, that's the closest thing we get. I don't know. As often as you do it. And so as often seems to mean that we're free to decide how often we will do it. And so in, in doing that, I think as Christians, as local churches, you have to figure, okay, where's, the, what's, where, where's balance here? What, it's, it's important to understand what is it that we're doing that's going to help you understand the balance. And I think the balance really needs to come up against the balance of the centerpiece of the local church. The preaching of the Word of God. The preaching words 
Scripture, Bible, teaching, correction, rebuke, unfolding, exalting in Jesus over the Word is the centerpiece. The bread and the cup and that meal is there to, yes, we're affirming that. We're complimenting that. So that the more you remove the cup and the bread away from the preaching of the Word in the local church, I think the more we're getting away from the point of it. Let me, just get, let me give you an example. Just say, for instance, there's a person in the church who is, has this overly mystical idea of the bread and of the wine. To the point that they don't really care about the preaching of the Word. They don't care about being instructed or being corrected or being encouraged to worship and obey the Lord Jesus through the preached Word. Maybe they find, oh, you do the Lord's Supper after the preaching? Good, maybe what time can I show up when it's done? Okay, the preaching's done. I know when I show up to church so I can make sure I eat the bread and drink the cup. That would be a travesty. That would be missing the point. The eating of the Word is the main thing in the local church. And then this glorious ordinance of Holy Communion is there saying, now yes, we're enacting what we are all about on a regular basis through the elements of bread and wine or juice. And so, how often? I don't know. I just, I just, maybe, yeah, that's why churches differ. Well, why don't we get together every day after work? Okay. Or why don't we do it? I don't, I don't think there's an exact way to do it, but the balance is, well, make sure you don't just do it so much that you become calloused to it. It's just so, you know, you can already not do it enough and people are callous to it. Oh yeah, bread, give me. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. But you can, you can become callous with everything. You can become calloused right now because I'm speaking as a pastor and not hearing preaching. You can become calloused with words up on a screen when music plays. You've got to always watch your heart. But we should do it often enough because if we don't, we'll be missing out on the special grace of God and the blessing it is that Jesus instituted for the church. And so, we see, therefore, in summary, it is a family meal. It's simple. piece of bread and the cup. And, I don't know, as often as you do it. Now, here's the main thing I want to hit this morning then. When we do that family meal, as often as we do it with the bread in the cup, what are we really doing? What should be happening in the family meal? Four things that I think really stick out about this in the Scripture. The first is this. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are calling to mind, remembrance, the center of our lives. The center of the Gospel. The center of Christianity. Jesus died for sinners. That's what He did. He took the bread. He knows He's going to die. He's laying down His life. This is My body. Go on. Very good. Do this in remembrance of Me. And Paul, later on, he gives it to us this way through 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 24. When Jesus had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me so that 30 years down the road, the Corinthians would be doing this. Or 2,000 years down the road, we would be doing this in this church this morning. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. So, in other words, let the bread in your hand and the cup that we drink, let them constantly be the representation, Jesus says, of My body and blood given for you. Let them remind you of Me, of My true humanity. Let them remind you that I, Jesus, your Savior, have all things in common just like you in your suffering. Remember my betrayal that I willingly received. Remember that night with the twelve I took the bread of the Passover. And I broke it knowing within 24 hours I am laying down my life to a horrific suffering. The wrath of God for your salvation. Go on doing this together. Remembering. Let these Gospel realities flood your souls every time you take the Lord's Supper. And remember, as we saw in the first sermon, my promise, I'm not going to eat this again until, which means, remember that I will sit with you and I will eat and I will drink of this Passover with you in the resurrection at my second coming. So the first thing, what are we doing? We are remembering. Secondly, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, as the body of Christ and local expressions and communities and families, we are preaching Christ through it. We are saying through this action with one another, anyone who wants to witness, we value Jesus Christ and His substitutionary death. This is how Paul put it in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup... Okay, here he goes. Okay, Paul, what? You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That's what we're doing. The body of Christ. The death of Jesus given up Himself for sinners, for me. Are you a believer? For you as we hold the bread together. When we do that, we're proclaiming salvation in Christ. Alone. As we take communion, we hold the bread. There's a sense in which you're not alone. You can look down the row at the other believers. Say, look at that. Jesus died for you. He died for me. That's why we are here. We're happily going to ingest this bread in remembrance of Him, and proclaiming this glorious truth that is our salvation. And we're going to continue to do it till we're dead or He returns. Jesus is really valuable to me. That's what that bread means. That's what that cup means. And you proclaim it to other believers and you're eating, and then you're drinking. And you ever come to church really down? You ever had a really bad week or month? Let communion, as you hold it, and others around you hold it, let it preach to you. Take heart, O my soul. 
This is the center of all reality. Eat, drink with each other. Thirdly, the eating of the physical bread, it's back there right now, drinking of the physical juice is a spiritual action. This is what's happening for believers. It is the feeding of your souls. That's why it's called the Lord's Supper. It's a meal. We are eating and we are drinking and eating and drinking our life-sustaining activities. And Jesus says, purposely, He did this, take the bread. Take the cup because the bread is My body. The blood or the cup is My blood that purchased the new covenant, your eternal salvation. And so we do it. And in our actual eating with our mouths and drinking, and it goes down like all other foods, it is not an ordinary eating or drinking. The nourishment that we get in the Lord's Supper is not from the bread. I'm nourished. Or from the juice or the wine. I'm nourished. No. In the context of 1 Corinthians 11, many of you know the passage. Paul, leading up to the Lord's Supper and all around the partaking of the Lord's Supper, said to them, Feed your bellies at home. Nourish your body with food at home before you come to this supper. You remember that? Verse 20. Look at what he said. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He's not really happy with what they're doing, okay? He says, because in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink? So, so point is, this meal, the Lord's Supper, is not about your physical nourishment. It is about spiritual nourishment for our souls. For our hearts. For our faith. That's what it means to partake of the body and the blood of Christ spiritually through the physical elements. In other words, by a heart of faith. Now, if we get that, then you'll see this point. Only believers can do that. Unbelievers or people who have not come to saving faith, people who have not come to know Christ truly, often partake of bread and a cup in churches. And they can remember back to what Jesus did. They know the story. They can say it by their eating and drinking and proclaim it. But they cannot do what we just talked about. Be spiritually nourished by Christ. They can eat it. They can drink it. They can't do that. For the bread, simple bread, and for the juice of the communion elements to be what Jesus means for them to be, there has to be something more going on than merely eating the bread and drinking the cup. 
Something that an unbeliever outside of Christ cannot do. And it's called worship. It's called a heart of faith in their Savior. Let let me just use an illustration. We have music. This is all physical stuff. Sound waves are physical. Melody is something we hear. It's in this physical world. We can break down scientifically. We have lyrics that go up here. You can come to church in any church throughout the, the world and you can have one person sitting there and one person sitting there. The music plays. The melody plays. They use their physical vocal cords, both of them, to sing the songs. And yet, One person here is worshiping. Drawing near to the Lord through the physical means of melody, lyrics. The other person doing the same physical things like eating or drinking or or singing the lyrics. And they're not worshiping. They're not alive to God. Two totally different things. Are happening now to help see that that what I just said this I want you to just if you're still there in First Corinthians just go back a chapter to chapter ten and see what Paul says. Start with verse sixteen of First Corinthians ten about something believer is happening beyond the physical. Elements of the communion table or ought to be. Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, he means we we pray over it like we do here, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Think about the word participation there for a moment. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread There's only one Christ. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Okay, Paul says, look, he just assumes this is what's happening when we take the Lord's Supper. When we take the cup of juice or wine, He says, when we do that in remembrance of Christ, are we not participating in Jesus' blood? Now that word participating is the word koinonia. Sharing in. Many of you know that word. Fellowshipping in. Somehow we have a connection with the blood of Jesus. With the body of Jesus. So it seems to me Paul's clearly saying, There is something more going on than just chewing on a little piece of bread. Than just sipping down a fourth of an ounce of juice. That there's even something more than just remembering Christ died. He's saying, this is when believers, through these elements, are trusting the value of Jesus' sacrificial death. Paul says, believers are participating, sharing or experiencing a sharing in the blood and in the body of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We just read it, I think. It's right there in verse 18 of chapter 10. Paul gives us a glimpse of what he's talking about. How are we participating in the body and blood of Jesus? Through bread and juice. It's right there. This is how you're having koinonia with it. This is how you're sharing with the body 
in the blood. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Yes, they are. What does that mean? Okay, If you understand the Old Testament sacrificial system, they didn't waste all that steak. They had substitutes. Goats, and bulls, and lambs. And, and they had sin offerings. So let's say you take your sin offering to the priest in the tabernacle or in the temple and it is properly slaughtered, killed, its life given up in your place. And your sins are covered. And the priest gets part of that meat for his family. And you get part of that meat and you eat it. You cook it and you eat it and you enjoy it. And in your eating, Paul says, the person is participating in the bloody altar of that sacrifice. And in the context of what he's saying, He's saying we, the body of Christ, as we take the Lord's Supper together, as often as we do it and we ingest it, what we are doing is participating in Jesus' very body and blood just like those Old Testament people did in the eating of their animal sacrifices. And what does that mean? It means... They were sharing in, in their eating, the benefits that were theirs by the offering of that animal. That animal turned the wrath of God away, covered their sin. It's done. And they take it, and now they eat of that animal. Happily, they're participating in that substitutionary sacrifice. As they are enjoying restored fellowship with God by means of that dead animal, they are now eating. Or in other words, they are identifying with the animal sacrifice in their eating of it. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Okay, so, when Paul says in verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? When he says that, he means that we believers, we eat the bread and we drink the cup that are very physical. And when we do that, something else is happening spiritually. We eat the bread. We drink the cup. And like the Old Testament sacrifices, we take into our lives what happened. Not in, not in animals. We take into our lives again and again what happened on the altar of the cross. See, by faith, that is by our trusting in all the promises that Jesus purchased in His sacrificial death. By faith, we're saying, I'm eating! As we will do this morning, this outward sign of water, baptism, is pointing to saying, something's true, you can't see, and I'm going to let you see it. We are constantly saying to each other and to ourselves, you can see the bread, you can see the cup, I'm going to tell you something true about me. I'm eating of this sacrifice. I'm eating of this Gospel. So when Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? 
The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? He's saying when we partake of the elements, we feast spiritually. By faith, in every spiritual blessing and promise that Jesus purchased by His sacrifice for us. And so that means to every believer, come to the table. And keep coming to the table. And you come to the table as a sinner loves Jesus knowing you blew it this week. Knowing I deserve nothing but just punishment. That's the table. But Jesus, He bore, received, took to Himself my punishment for my sin. And so, as you hold the bread and the cup, you say, legalism, get out of here. Demonic voices that come to you and say, I don't know if I should partake of the cup. I'm not good enough this morning. You say, get out of here. And you say, I'm trusting the Gospel of Jesus. I'm trusting the truth of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to Christ's sacrifice to forgive us our sins, to cleanse even me from all unrighteousness. Those are the first three things that we're doing as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're remembering. We're proclaiming Christ. And we are nourishing our souls by the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're desperate for it. As often as we do it. And finally, fourth, the Lord's Supper, it is also a call to self-examination. As soon as the Apostle Paul finished the words of Jesus in the Lord's Supper in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he says this. Start with verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Alright, first. What what does eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner not mean? It does not mean because I sinned this past week, I should not partake of communion this coming Sunday. It's not what it means. I think a lot of people think that's what it means. It's not what it means. Let me give you an example. Let's just say, you pick your own. I'm going to speak slowly so they can come to your mind. We all have them. You, you struggle in your Christian life with one, two, or eight particular besetting sins. Okay, you got one? Let me just use an example then. Okay. Let's take anger. Sinful anger. Blow up anger. I'm familiar with that one. 
Okay. You're walking with Christ and, and you want to see fruit of patience and trust. And, but the anger comes. Okay. In your anger as a believer, because the Holy Spirit's in you, you grieve over it. And you pray. And you actually have fruit. Not comparing yourself with others who never struggle with what you struggle with, but comparing yourself with you, with what you have struggled with. You see fruit in your life over your anger. But then, Saturday night, you lost it. You angrily lashed out at your spouse with kids or on the way to church. That's a. Okay. And then, oh, you feel so horrible about it. And you say, Father, please forgive me. God, help me. You're not done with it. You're still working in me by your Spirit. Let's go on. First John 1 9. Yes. Okay. Got that? Here's, that's the picture now. Okay. Hold that now. This passage about partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. This passage is not saying in that situation, you sinned on the way to church, therefore you should not partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, believers, you are His. Remember what Jesus did for you. Proclaim it to yourselves in the bread and in the cup and be grateful for the fact that you hate your sin and you grieve over your sin and in that repentant, thankful heart, go ahead and now rejoice in eating the Lord's Supper as you identify with Jesus' death for sinners like you. Okay, so, and what's Paul talking about? What does eating in an unworthy manner or mindset or attitude mean? Well, we, we have to go to the context to get at what he's saying. Because he's saying this in a particular context. So I want you to go back to verse 17 of chapter 11. And pick up. Here's Paul now. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better. But it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Because in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. They brought a bunch of food with them, okay? And one goes hungry. And another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate other believers who have nothing? That's God. And if that's going on, let's eat of the bread and drink of the cup with an unchecked heart in remedying that sin. That is eating in an unworthy manner. When Paul uses this unworthily or the way in which you do it, he means if you just... Go ahead and nibble on the bread and drink of the cup with an unexamined heart. He's referring to our sin that we just leave unchecked. Unrepented of. To eat of this precious meal in an unworthy way means we are failing 
to appreciate what the bread and the cup signify. Jesus laid down His life for the church. For every believer, in other words. And Paul's saying, don't you know what you're doing? Now you're going to eat the bread and drink the cup? And you can't even share a sandwich with someone who's much poorer than you? That's what he's saying. You don't even care if they're hungry. You despise the body of Christ. And then you go ahead and eat and you drink the cup. His body, His blood, which was shed for your wretched sin. Wait, okay. That's what he's getting at. You're going to eat what you're supposed to mean. You're a wretched sinner who deserves God's wrath. And you do that in a context of thinking you're better than others, looking down at other sinners. And let me eat the bread. He's died for me in my wretchedness. You sit down over there. He's saying, something is really way off in your understanding of the bread and the cup. Of your understanding of the Gospel. Of your understanding of what it means to be delivered from God's wrath by Jesus' substitution. It is failing to feel appropriate remorse that our unloving behavior or attitudes are unloving actions of others and we just don't even deal with them. That would be eating in an unworthy manner. It is a failing to renounce the desires we all have that are sinful and it is our daily battle as Bob preached last week. It would be, let me just ignore what Bob said about the normal Christian life of battling. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a failing to renounce them, to receive forgiveness through repentance and confession on a constant basis. And to eat worthily, it means this. It means to be a sinner. It means to be a sinner who is being saved by grace. That is, you're a person who deep down cherishes the Gospel of justification by faith alone, apart from anything that I could have ever done or ever will do. Jesus did it all. And that is my treasure. As a sinner who still sins, this is what it means to eat worthily. You come to the table living a life of self-examination and feeling appropriate remorse for your sin, renouncing our unloving sinful behaviors towards others in the body of Christ in particular. I don't have time to go there. It's time's run out. Because Paul will go on and he'll say at the core, here's the problem. You don't discern the body. And he does mean, I think, there's a play on words with him here. You're holding the body of Christ with the bread in your hand. He means that. And he means also at the same time in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, these other precious human beings around you in the local church, you are not discerning the body of Christ. And that's where he goes on to say, Dear believer, because God loves you, He doesn't want you to be condemned along with the world. Some of you have been disciplined for your lack of self-examination. Some of you have even died. Not wrath! God's love, fatherly loving discipline. 
And so, are you a sinner? Good, you qualify to eat. Uh, as long as you add to that, I embrace Christ. And I'm looking. And don't ever expect to not find sin. It's always with us to one degree or another in desire, in attitude, in actions. And you come and lay it down at the cross rejoicing in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice. And then we partake. We pray over the bread and we eat it and over the cup and we drink it and we do it expecting God to act. To act in special grace with His presence through the physical bread and the cup. And so in the next few moments, we're going to witness the only two ordinances that Jesus has given for us to practice in the church. First will be the baptism of Lindsay LeMay. And then after that, the bread and the cup will be passed out. And Lindsay will be celebrating with us and with her Savior her very first experience of the Lord's Supper together. Lindsay, come on up. And so, as the music plays and we worship the Lord, Lindsay and I are going to be making our way over to the baptismal pool. And what will be happening in that water is a picture. It's a parable. It's an outward sign that we could see, we can hear with our senses about something that has happened inside of Lindsay. That Jesus has come through new birth and raised her from the dead where He has become her delight. And so, as Lindsay goes underneath the water, she is identifying with Jesus' sacrifice. His death. She's saying, I died with Jesus to sin. He bore it. It's punishment. And then she will come up out of the water. I'm identifying with Jesus' conquering death forever. First, He has raised me already from the dead spiritually. And one day He will raise me with everybody else who are His physically.